We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bleak now, England, but don't worry. Arsenal will be back in the Champions League next season to save your reputation. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. No English sides prevailed in the Champions League this week, but that's that's something that I'm sure will be uh, corrected next season as the rightful uh, Champions League placeholders. Arsenal will be there, be there to represent, to show out. Um, it's so weird. Once upon a time, we felt so entitled to be in the competition. And now it feels so foreign. Um, I believe it's been six years, is it, that we've not been in it? And, you know, and and through this whole title challenge, our focus has been the title, and, and it should stay the title, and rightfully so. But watching the Champions League this week, I did get just a little twinkle, just a little tingle of excitement for being back in it. Um, you know, and I'm curious to hear what the guys have to say about that. We're going to talk a little bit today about the treatment Saka gets from the refs because everybody unanimously gives us feedback that they love referee conversations, so that'll be fun. Talk a little bit about Smith Rowe, Vieira, the Europa League coming up. How good are City actually? Maybe how bad are Liverpool actually? All things that we can cover in a relatively quiet week. And when you win and you win the way we did and the mood is high and there's no midweek football for us and there's midweek football for others, it tends to be a fairly quiet week around Arsenal and we will take it. And here to take it with me, I, I guess is one way you could put that is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. It's just second nature now. Um, okay, so I guess first things first. Let's just pop through the Champions League stuff quickly, Tim. Um, you know, saw two interesting and contrasting performances from Liverpool and City. Mm. City, their sort of usual dominant self in the first half. And in the second half, a little bit of that glass jaw and a little bit of the frailty emerged. And the thing I thought was interesting is Pep didn't make a single sub. Now, I don't he know if the, his idea there... What was that? He often he often, doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Well, But I, I was wondering if the idea there was, I've got my team I'm going to use midweek, and the players I'm going to use in the league are going to be completely fresh and untouched midweek. Like if he's really thinking about this as two groups, I can't see that because I can't imagine a scenario where Holland doesn't play at the weekend and, you know, some of those players don't play. But then again, maybe maybe he won't. I- I'm curious your take on, on where we're at with Manchester City because there is this belief that they are just this colossus that will eventually go on a run, win all their games, finish on 92, 94 points, and that's what we have to do. And yet, as I watch them with my eyes... I don't see that team yet. Maybe it's coming, but I don't see it. Yeah, exactly the same, exactly the same. And you're, and you're right, like, obviously we caveat all of this heavily because as much as we try not to be, we're, we're a li- there's a li- every football fan has a little bit of superstition in yep. them, even, yep. even like people like me um, who make like someone like Richard Dawkins look, um, you know, <laughs> so, something of a, of a, of a fantasist, but um, it, it's, it's, it, you know, so obviously we caveat this, but like, no, they don't, they don't, they do not. And there's a lot 
um, there's a lot about this title race that is being judged on priors. And obviously, mm. like, that's understandable. We're, and again, we're all doing that to an extent. And that is understandable because that is the evidence. The past is the best evidence we have to go on. But, you know, Arsenal are jumping from finishing fifth to finishing first or second, basically. That's a big jump. That tells you Arsenal are very different this season, even to last season. And most of us enjoyed most of last season and thought we were good and were progressing. So that's that's kind of, you know, like we're a different proposition, but there's still this kind of, oh, Arsenal are very frail, blah, 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 like all the stuff that we hear. And, and it's exactly the same with City because City do pretty consistently do that thing where they win 10 11 games in a row or whatever they don't do it every season though people are forgetting the season they lost the title to Liverpool they were miles back they were absolutely miles back like it was done before Covid like I think they were about 12 or 13 points behind or something at that point like they were miles and miles behind so they you know they do have an off season by their standards in them but I get why people assume they're just going to win kind of 10 games in a row and that's why City winning one game is always judged as the beginning of that run so like when they beat Villa for example just before they beat us like we said it they lost to Tottenham one week before but that was and and deserved to lose and weren't very good and that was completely swept away and forgotten about it's like right they've beaten Villa now so that's the next nine games done and like nothing that we see this season this season tells us that that that's going to be the case. It might very well be the case. I wouldn't be massively surprised if it was, but that is not the evidence of this season. And City are a different team as well. We forget their squad has changed a lot, not just because of the Haaland thing, which is kind of, given to them and taken away from them there's an adjustment there but guys who used to play all the time like Joao Cancelo's not there anymore Raheem Sterling's not there anymore Gabriel Jesus is not there anymore because he's with us ditto uh, Alex Zinchenko so they've they've lost some pillars of the teams that did that that went on those big long runs yeah and I do think there's something about that Grealish Mares Haaland front three that isn't optimal. I don't know what's going on with Phil Foden, but I thought the partnership Phil Foden had with Holland earlier in the season looked really dangerous. To me, Foden, I, I feel like Foden's miscast as a bit of a creator um, sometimes, which I think he can be because he's technically very gifted, but I think he's much more of a Sterling type style second striker. Like, I think if you play Foden in every game, he'd hit you know, 15, 20 goals. I see him as a very like good secondary goal scorer who could play off Holland. I don't know what's going on there, um, but I'm fine with it because I don't think they look better with Grealish and Mares. I think they look a little bit more predictable just because both of those players are relatively similar and they both come inside. And I think it creates a lot of centrality and, and maybe a little bit of predictability sometimes. So yeah, like absolutely this title race more than any other is being judged on priors and and yeah, I, I think it's 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 a little bit it's a little bit OTT, a bit like us like drawing with Brentford and that's it. All of a sudden it's all like like as it's that we're two points clear with a game in hand. Yeah. That is in that's a very commanding position by the standards of a title race. And we look, we all know we haven't been there for years and years and years. So you understand why that comes with caveats. But like even when we lost to Man City like we were level on points with a game in hand. We still had the advantage. Yeah. And but it's talked about like we've gone oh we've gone five points behind now and it's gone. Like just just not the case at all. And I like I do get it, right? Reputationally, we are a team that was eighth, eighth, fifth, and they are a team that was first, first, second, or whatever it was, um, and near a hundred points in multiple seasons. And so the 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 bias is understandable, right? But the thing about how it's viewed, I mean, and people will say, well, they beat us. Sure, but I think the reason we had so much disappointment about how that game played out is even watching them on the grass against us, we just kind of let them off the hook, right? Because we made errors by our box. We didn't execute by their box, and that's all it took. They had, we all know the stats, lowest this, lowest that, fewest this, fewest that. Clive, to be clear, first of all, the data still shows them as a very good team, and I think they are a very good team. And my eyes still say they're a very good team. I mean, we can sometimes over-index results because 
what did they have? 24 shots to three against Forrest. Forrest had one shot on target and get a 1-1. And, you know, I saw the way they dominated the ball against Red Bull Leipzig the other day in the first half, but in the second half, you saw a little bit of a different pattern of play. It's not that I think they're not good. It's that I'm starting to think the fear that this is a team that will just do what they did to Liverpool that season, where they pick up every available point the rest of the way and finish in the mid-90s points, may not be the team we're actually up against. Some players are getting older. Maybe there's a little discontentment in the camp. I'm curious how you diagnose the situation at City right now. Are they are they the Colossus and we have to win all the games? Where's your, where's your um, current barometer of what we need to do to keep them in our rearview mirror? Yeah, I, I said this a few weeks back that I don't think they're the the force that they were, and the reason mm. being um, for me the thing that used to scare me about City was the penetration from the outsides, and they've lost Jesus, they've lost Sane, they've lost Sterling, those people that cut through you, then they're, they're not there, and they've got when they go out wide, then they go out wide to standstill players that don't really run off the ball in behind, they wait to feet, if you get to feet, you can slow them down. I, I do think, obviously they've got ability, they've got a centre forward. And this sort of team reminds me of a Liverpool team, actually, in the past, with um, with Gerrard and Torres up front. And it's just KDB and Haaland, we can flip that around. And in that Liverpool team, they had players like Dirk Kite on the outside. you know, And, and, and it was a very good side, strong side, but they really had one world-class link. And they didn't win the league. You know, Gerard played in the 10 behind Torres. They were a superb partnership. But they didn't have quite enough variations of attack. Now, if you, uh, you know your enemy, right? So I've been watching City closely now for a while, watching their games closely. And I think they're, I think they're slow. I think they're looking at their feet. I don't, they don't play the ball when they should do. They turn away from passes. They want to control the games fine. That game against RB Leipzig... It faced them into the forest game without all the chances. They had them. And you heard my phrase, they're playing 2-0 football at 1-0. They're playing 2-0 football and it's 1-0 and they get cut. All the other team needs is 15 minutes and it's, it's an equaliser. And they're in a bit yeah. of trouble. So he's doing his thing regarding the defensive shape, which I, I quite like, actually, how he uses the defenders. I felt last night they use Walker high and wide and he hasn't got enough on-the-ball ingenuity to really make that position work. I bet they wish they had a young kid called Bukayo Saka because he could sort that position out mm-hmm. high and wide and, and do the defending as well rather than putting a, a centre-back right back high and wide who didn't have the ability on the ball to really move the ball well. So And I don't think their squad is as strong. No one can tell me that Bernardo Silva in that inverted left-back role is better than Zinchenko. No chance. He's better than he's better than him and Lewis. I think he's a, he's the biggest miss for them. They didn't get Cucurello, which would have been the the signing for them, because Pep would have used him way better than than Chelsea using Cucurello. He would have been an attacking force and a very difficult one to stop. But well, I don't think they planned for Cancelo to just suddenly be bad and then leave. Like that, yeah, exactly. Changed them dramatically. You know, it, it has much like the Aubameyang situation with us last season. Changed that wasn't in our plan, right? We yeah. expected to have yeah. him uh, as leading our front line. It wasn't in our plan. They gave. Cancelo the number seven shirt and said, there you go, son, you've got free range of the midfield and just be a floating, a, be a Sinchenko basically for us. And he's obviously got the strop and he's gone off to Bayern Munich where he's playing absolutely fantastically well. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. so yeah, they've got problems. As I said at the start of the season, the league is in transition. It, it has surprised me, Liverpool, where they are. But the league is in transition and big pillars, as Tim said, have to be assimilated into the teams of the of these other teams, sorry. And mm. as I said before, the team that really concerned me at the start of the year was not any of these. It was Spurs. I thought they'd be more stable. I thought the manager would have a bit more time with them. He did some work with them on their fitness. I thought, much like us, a stable group, I thought they could be a problem. But they're Spurs, right? So they've done their thing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was where my eyes were. It wasn't on this group. I thought we'd get a lot closer to them. It was Spurs was my worry for the top four. Can I yeah. just pick up on something there as well, which um, yeah, which I think Clive said, which is interesting about <clears throat> teams who have like one very, very like common outpost for goals. Generally, if you look, those teams don't win leagues very often. So you look at Arsenal, right? In 1991, when we were champions, we bought Ian Wright. Br- like very legend, brilliant player. 
didn't win the league <laughs> mm. until he got injured. And then, like, at United, they had Ruud van Nistelrooy for six seasons, I think. They won the league once. They sold him. They went to a rotating front three of Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, won the league three years in a row and won the Champions League. So, like, generally speaking, I think teams that have that, that are based around that single threat, not, not always, like, it does happen, but I think they struggle to win the league usually. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that <clears throat> if that pertains more to like single threat in the center as opposed out wide. Because I can think of, you know, um, Mohamed Salah. Well, I guess he wasn't really a single threat, Clive. Yeah, it's not the City Vision podcast, but I have to say last night, I think Pep recognised that KDB wasn't there. So what he tried to do was put Mares into that narrow position and create that link to the centre forward. So he knows where his bread's buttered. His bread is buttered on the Haaland sandwich. So we all sit here and we worry about Jesus being injured and we worry about Party being injured. But could you imagine City if Haaland gets injured? There, there I mean, nothing, there are people that will tell you there, to be man. better. But, no, I don't I mean, think so. They have Alvarez. You don't think so? No chance. No way, no way, no way. They would not be better. They haven't got the variation. Foden's not where he is. They haven't got Sterling to play force nine. Foden's he's sulking about something, right? They haven't mm-hmm. got the threats. They seriously haven't got the threats. You tell me how you configure that team if Haaland's not there. Alvarez comes in, runs about a bit. No problem. Everyone can deal with that. They haven't got the threats. They haven't got the bi-directional movement. They haven't got the penetration. They're in transition, and we've got to take them. This is the time to do it. Yeah. The scary thing is they're in transition, and, like, don't get it twisted. They're going to finish on 86 points or higher, right? Maybe they're not going to do 96, but it's going to be 86, 87, 88. It's going to be right in there. And that shows you how hard it is what we're trying to do, right? Because City are vulnerable, in air quotes, to the extent that if you can get 90 points, you can win a league. Now, fair enough. You kind of probably need 90 points to win a league. Like, that's not that's not an outrageous thing to have to do. Um, that's just where we're at right now. I think we can shift away from City here, but I thought that was an interesting conversation only because the, the question of, yeah, Tim, we won the league unbeaten on 90 points, he has typed in. So, like, it shows you where we're at now, right? Um, in, just in terms of what it takes and what we expect to be a league winner. But I think it is an interesting conversation because – there's this sense that we're being stalked by one of the great sides of all time and that any slip-up in any way means the title challenge is over. And us as fans can think that. Yeah, we can think whatever you want, but maybe it would help the players to feel like they're being stalked by a slightly more vulnerable team so that you don't feel that immense pressure that, that any single slip-up... I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Don't drop any points, guys, okay? But if you feel that you can't even drop a... You know what? two points anywhere, any point in the season, the task can almost feel overwhelming, almost like it's an impossible task. And so we still have hard games. We have to go to the Etihad. And, you know, there's this attitude kind of like, well, you can't lose there. The title's over. We'll see. But I think maybe the margin for error is going to look a little different as we get towards the tail end of the season. I think we're going to drop points. I think City's going to drop points. I think Manchester United, you know, that's a team that people think, like, frankly, is is in the title race and maybe they are, maybe they're not, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit here. Uh, Clive, one of the conversations that's being had, I think in Arsenal circles a lot right now is the question of how you protect Bukayo Saka because he does just get kicked a lot. Paul made a point on, on a previous pod that I thought was a really interesting one. And then I saw a video going around, um, I think it was a, a TIFO video maybe, but it, that I thought was interesting about how do you want the fouls to be called? In other words, you see a lot of wingers, they're out on the touchline, they're in midfield, they get a kick, they go down, what do you get? You get a free kick at the touchline in midfield. Saka wants to ride challenges. He wants to beat a man. He wants to carry the ball into the attacking third into more dangerous positions. And this video showed the same thing, how he spins off his man and by staying on his feet, advances the ball to more threatening, dangerous positions than if he were to go down and get those calls. I think this is where the playing advantage can also help because you don't have to give the call if he stays on his feet, but maybe you can come back and penalize it with a card or however you want to do it. But I'm curious how you see... Saka's game and the strength in his game and his willingness to stand on his feet and, his, and beat players and the way he's refereed all coming together to create any sense of worry you might have about him 
or you know if you think referees need to adjust to the way he plays how do, how do you think about the the numbers there because statistically Saka draws a very average number of fouls in the league um he he actually has more cards than people have for fouling against him i believe is is the stat or something yeah. like that so it doesn't feel right it certainly can't be right do you think something has to change and is it with the players or with the referee how do you, how do you look at that yeah, Arsenal are a flow-based team, as we all know. So we, when the ball goes into wide areas, we all get excited because we've got our two 21-year-olds that can normally beat two men. So we empty the middle out, don't we? We empty the middle, create a big hole, leave one man in there, and we try to create combinations in wide areas. So we want the guys to have the ability to get out of that phone box and keep the ball, and then we're off and running in, onto an exposed back four because we've emptied the middle out. So we all know how we play. So when Saka and Martinelli get smashed, particularly Saka, we're we're frustrated because we know the ball's going to Odegaard and when it goes to his feet on the back four, our lives are much happier. Right? So mm-hmm. so the point about keeping him going, that's the flow point. And I do think what's what's not really clear and what doesn't get tracked in metrics is the amount of time Saka gets half fouled but retains the ball and flicks it off and we've still got the ball, but he's on the floor holding his legs. And there's no foul for it because advantage is played. And so I, I do feel this double-edged to this. I do think the referees are trying to play advantage around him. But this is my big thing on this one. People know he's our best player. Goals and assists, he's the man. So if you can get around him, you can stop him, you can kick him, hurt him, because let's not mess about This isn't kindergarten stuff. Hurt him, you've got a better chance of stopping Arsenal. That would be the player I would go for. So what's changed in the game? So the referees are now doing this edict now where physicality, they want to let the physicality go, let the game go, make a a product, all the rest of it. They're having that same edict at the same time that five substitutes have been introduced. So what can you do? Back to my basketball analogy. You can throw bodies at him. You can throw a full back him at Saka. You can be really aggressive. You don't mind if he gets booked because at halftime, you can take him off and throw another fall back at him. So it's beyond rotational fouling, Elliot. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. You go, yeah. He can go really hard, really hard. Aston Villa, Moreno, and Luca Dina on the weekend. Two left backs, bang, to, to manage that one player. And other teams have done it as well, right? They, Man City did it. They had, they had Bernardo there. They soon moved him out of the way and got Ake out there, man-to-man in the second half. So people are throwing bodies at him. So the two edicts, the change in the game, which I'm a big fan of, five substitutes, is not aligned to the referee edict of allowing physicality. So referees need to change their edict and say, by the way, I'm going to book you early. And I'm not ruining the game because you've got five substitutes you can use. Back in the day, yeah. was you get you get a free one. Remember that, Tim? You get a free one or two or three nowadays. Yeah. And, but but you, you don't want to ruin the game because you don't want to send anybody off. No, no, no. You, you're putting the emphasis on the coach to say, I know what you're trying to do here. Now you've got to make a change that might weaken you. So the referees need to catch up to the evolution tactically in the game, particularly with the five substitutes. And then they're just so dumb. How could you do that? How could you have an edict to let physicality go when there are more people to be physical? You can literally have 15 players on the pitch and change them around. So you have to be sharper on the cards to allow the flow of the game going. Two things that bother me, I've got to say, flow and time management. They are the keys to the product and don't let me yeah. start it on time management. I've got stuff on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold that for now, shall we say. Yeah. Well, I think the game where it really annoyed me was the City game. Because Bernardo Silva cannot live with Bukayo Saka. And he was just cynically fouling him time and time again. And he didn't get the card until very, very late on. And I think had he gotten it earlier, we might have had a little more ability to expose them. Because that was an area where they... they where Pe- Candidly, Pep had gotten it wrong, right? And we were exploiting it, but they were using fouling and cynical fouling to cover the gap. And if you don't penalize that, then essentially you're not allowing Arsenal to exploit the tactical advantage that they have. Um, And that levels a playing field in a game where we had an advantage. You want to play to your advantage. And Silva just said, well, I'm just going to foul Saka and I'm not going to get cards. And so that game really annoyed me. I think, Tim, it's tough. You also can't be too precious 
If you're really good at dribbling, guys, if you're really strong, if you're really good at staying up, you're going to have to have some steel ankles. You're going to have to take some kicks. Like, Paul was making this point on the other pod. You ask Liverpool fans what happens to Mohamed Salah and has happened to Mohamed Salah over the years. Like, he gets kicked a lot. I mean, Lionel Messi is a great example. There's whole videos just of horror tackles on Lionel Messi. Um, But Messi doesn't want to go down and get a foul because he knows he can take your soul, beat you off the dribble, get in the box, and score 50 goals a season. So... I want to be careful not to be too precious, and you want it not to get in the heads of players, and I think Mikel is careful how he speaks about it because he doesn't want Saka to have the woe-is-me victim mentality. He wants him to have the killer mentality of, go ahead, try to kick my ankles. You're going to be looking at the back of him when I'm running away from you. So how do you balance that? Because I think I think something is off about the way this player is, is refereed, clearly just on the data, the stats of how many mm-hmm. fouls he suffers. Like If you look at cards given per foul suffered, Versus the cards he gets per foul given, you know, or foul he commits, it's not right. It can't be right. But mm. you don't want to take the player's sort of killer mentality away by giving him that victim complex. So how do you how do you think about this? And I am going to say it for you. I think you've just written about this. <laughs> yes, I have indeed. So like <clears throat> with with Arteta, basically the way I divide the responsibility, I I think from Arteta's point of view, <clears throat> he's right. Um, from a coach's point of view, to not want to it, and again, I'm going to be repeating some stuff I've written in the column this week. Do you remember what he said about Saka playing in the Europa League? And he said, "Nope, best players in the world turn up every three days." And because I think it was before the Bodo Glimp game, and he said, "If I put in his head, oh, I don't play this week because it's astroturf or whatever," so I don't want that in his head. And and what's really interesting, I I reread that whole quote and clearly who he's referencing in the quote is Messi and Ronaldo he talks about 70 yeah. games 50 goals a season that's the level he wants to push Saka to right those are the players he's competing saying like they play 70 games a season they score 50 goals a season and it's not because they don't want to play the odd game here and there he says that's what I want from Saka and what I want from a lot of these young players so I think this is very similar to that in the respect that you know keep going keep going keep going keep going we don't we don't want you to feel um you know persecuted or like a victim and the the example I used in the column is if you compare Messi and as much as I hate to say it Ronaldo like I'd say earlier in their career they were kicked a lot I don't think it really happens anymore. Um, and I think a big part of that is because both of them refuse to be seen as victims or to behave like victims, even if they had the right to do that at times. They both had this, nope, I'm getting back up and I'm coming at you again yep. kind of mentality. And I think after a while, it discourages people from kicking you anyway. Yeah. Flip that to the player of this generation who, um, you know, pre Mbappe and Haaland anyway, who's been closest to them, Neymar, very different. Very different, right? Very different. He, again, as much as at times he has had a right to do that, he has behaved much more like a victim. He's Mm. been much more like, you know, histrionics. He's been much more in referees' ears and stuff like that, retaliating, showing like a weakness to it and what's happening to him he's out with another ankle injury like he is every February because mm. the, the rough stuff happens to him more. And I think a lot of that is like, look, he irks people rightly or wrongly, but also opponents know they're like, A, his ankles are quite weak and it's probably, I'm speculating because he doesn't really look after himself as well as he should for the age he, he currently is. But also I can probably get him booked and sent off because he's going to get up and he's going to retaliate. He's going to react. And and he's still getting his ankles chopped and he's got glass ankles now, whereas Ronaldo and Messi... And look, you you also have to acknowledge that Ronaldo and Messi had a lot of luck in their career as well, not to pick up... like They were like an awkward angle on a tackle away from like suffering a bad injury or whatever. But largely, I think that they've both just been ruthless... And teams have stopped doing it. Whereas with someone like Neymar, it's much more, uh, this guy doesn't like this. We know he doesn't like it. And, you know, I look a little bit as well, maybe at Zaha as well. Zaha, a very similar player to Saka. I would say similarly 
kind of treated by referees. Mm. And I'd hope internally that under new leadership, uh, PGMOL are more willing in the spirit of openness and not defensiveness to maybe look at some of the reasons why this might be, to stress, to be open to stress testing some of that. Because look, none of us, certainly not me, can sit here and like, throw the racism grenade at referee. I don't have enough experience. I don't, and like, I, you know, it's too important a subject for me to just do that. Yeah. But like, I hope PGMOL are, are more open to that, um, at least internally. But I, I really think there is something in like, in like really getting that kind of ruthless mentality. Um, I think privately Arteta probably feels a bit like we do. Um, but yeah, sorry, I look at Zaha and again, as much as he probably has the right to do it, I think yeah. he gives the impression that it really gets under his skin and then it kind of, at the, at the risk of victim blaming, does be, kind of become self-perpetuating, rightly or wrong, wrongly, but I think it kind of does. Yeah, I mean, I I think point blank, the racism question is an open one, and it would be wrong to ignore it, um, especially given that you have an all-white refereeing crew uh, in the Premier League. I think there's a right way and a wrong way to assert it. The wrong way to assert it is to just say it's definitely racism. These white referees are racist, because while they may be, um, you know that that ju- I just don't see that as the appropriate way to to assert it. I think that what you can say instead is, first of all, there may be racism operating here. I think it's certainly fair to, to raise the question. And by the way, racism doesn't have to be overt racism. There's something called implicit bias, right? Implicit bias is something that even someone who believes they're not racist can, can suffer from. Just a, a sort of prejudice in the way you walk through the world that, that is operating at a level that's below your conscious level. So implicit bias can be at, at play. Um, education we about Wolves red card the other mm-hmm. week, right? Loads mm-hmm. of players surround a referee who gets the second yellow and the red card. Like again, in isolation, I can't say that that's definitely because the referee is either consciously or unconscious. But do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. again, internally, I hope PGMOL was smart enough and open enough to say, okay, let's just let's have the conversation among ourselves. Let's stress test some of this stuff and let's be open about this, which anybody i mean any organization an individual should do that anyway but particularly one that like their whole bread and butter is decision making they should commit themselves to that scrutiny privately or publicly right you can you can take it you don't have to overtly assert it but you should still be taking it seriously and inquiring about it be silly to leave you out of this clive obviously so like i think i'm curious on your perspective because i feel that when you have people playing a sport refereed by people who, you know, are not from their backgrounds or exclusively not from their backgrounds. And, you, you know, there's that disconnect. You not only have a question of implicit potential implicit bias or overt racism, you also have a question of the players respecting the referees back, right? The, the players feeling you don't get me or, or you, you're out to get me, I should say. And so I think just the dynamic of not having a more diverse group of referees can lead to concerns both on the parts of fans and on the part of players that I'm, you know, a player thinking I'm not being refereed fairly. And we, we certainly don't want that to happen as well. So what's your, what's your take on the, the degree to which some of this may be related to a deeper layer of bias beyond just the individual player, the individual referee? Yeah. Oh, it's a great topic. I am um, brave you to bring it up guys. That's why I love you. That's why I love both of you. I I think, um, I think seriously though, referees that we've spoken about diversity referees. So can we just tick that one off? The game needs Mm -hmm. to have a look at that, you know, and diversity is not just where you live. It's your diversity of thinking. And this is the real issue. I, I, I don't even want to think about the racism issue because I thought about it for many years. I, I'm a big fan of Patrick Vieira, and don't tell me all those cars were because he was late in the challenge, right? So, and it was very relevant to me then. I watched Arsenal a lot more home and away then than I do now, particularly away. We can really see it in different parts of the country, right? The bigger issue for the game for me is profiling of players. And that's not just on a racial basis, but just on, on what we think a, a certain player is. So if I say the word Scott McTominay to you, I and mean, look at what he does on a pitch. But he's profiled as a hard-working trier that gets to the tackle as quickly as he could. 
nice mm. guy. He can chop you at your knees viciously and very at pace with force. And he has to do a lot to get into that book. Right. And then you look at someone like, I'm just going to pick Big Gabby for the Gabriel Magalhães, for example. He makes one tackle, arrives there late. He's in the book. Three minutes or five minutes after a, a supposedly dissent yellow card. And that's what I mean by the profiling of players. That means it's not just on a race basis. It's based on what the referees think a player is. That comes back to diversity of thinking again. If everyone thinks that Granite Shack is a, a fruit loop, then every time he makes a tackle, he's going to get dealt with like a fruit loop. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> that's not always fair on him. That's not, but that's profiling. That profiling comes from media, how they profile a player to them. And also, the way, if you're profiling to the same set of people that think about football and footballers in the same way, you're not getting a diversity of thinking and response to all the inputs that we all receive every single day by various mediums that we all choose to, to link into in our social media lives or how we take information about the sport we love on board. It's going to affect your thinking. So you need that diversity of thinking. I don't always agree with someone who's a different background to me on a tip, on a particular subject, but it's an input to me to have a broader view about the same situation, problem, etc. You know, and you made a great point the other week, Elliot, about the stuff we did around the stadium. Me and Tim was in that room to, to designing the stadium banners around the ground, and Tim, it was a diverse group, wasn't it, mate? It's a diverse group. We were nodding on occasions. We were thinking, what do they talk about on occasions? But you know what? You pull it all together, and we have something now that the majority of people are very, very happy with. If it was down to me, you'd have red and white words, mate. <laughs> you'd have a, I would have either made it simple. I wouldn't have come up with all of the banners that we that we came up with in the end. And it was all our thinking. And we have to have that thought process around the people that govern the game. The game is not mm. about Scott McTominay's anymore. It's about, it's a global game and we have a number of people from different backgrounds coming into our game that need to be refereed in a, in a, in a different way. And I, It's the biggest, you know, one of two or three gaps, but for me, it's the, it's the area of football that has not evolved with the rest of the game. And it's massively, massively important and takes up too much oxygen from all of us and thought process. And it's it's like, it's antiquated. It really is. It yeah. needs to change. I would love to be part of that discussion. It said, ever ask a fan. But I would love to be part of it. The, the thinking is not there. You can't have the same people defining a new way of doing things because they're not capable because of, of their backgrounds, etc. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, Go ahead. I'd just like to add to that as well. I know Michael Cox always writes really, really well about this, about how football's popularity a lot of it, it it's continued its, its popularity has snowballed because of changes that have been made to the game like innovative like the back pass rule like at some point like I, I remember that coming in and I don't remember there being a massive clamour for it but at some point someone smart looked at the game and said like 15 minutes of these games are being taken up with like Alan Hansen passing the ball to Bruce Grobelar, him picking it up, bouncing it three times. And we're actually in a similar stage, I think, with like time wasting in other ways. And they went, let's get rid of that. Let's just have the ball in play more often. And, and the back pass rule was a brilliant innovation. Same with like taking out the tackle from behind ahead of the USA World Cup in 94. They were like, do you know what? We got loads of skillful players now. That was another... Um, big kind of watermark in terms of uh, overseas talent coming into the Premier League. And someone smart said, I, I don't want someone chopping down Janinho from behind when he's on a dribble or Georgie Kinkladzi. I don't want him taken out of the kneecap. So we're taking out the tackle from behind. And like Michael always writes about how like, this is how football has maintained its popularity over the years. And he compares it unfavorably to rugby. And he's like, rugby is a game that hasn't changed in like 50, 60 years. And like very few people watch it anymore because it hasn't made, obviously doesn't have to make identical, but like it hasn't made those little things where they've gone, ah, the game's changing, we need to change with it. And and I agree with Clive, I think football is in a similar area now and it needs those smart people to say, I don't think I want to watch a goalkeeper line up a goal kick for a minute and a half anymore, for example. 
I think that's really well said. I'm and some, some aspects of this conversation are <laughs> some I'm aspects ready. of this conversation are hard. <laughs> are hard. And I think people want to shy understandably shy away from hard conversations. But I think instead they can be they can be exciting conversations. If you frame them correctly, you can say, wow, we have a chance to really improve things by being open and honest and exploring where some of the shortcomings are and and through that exploration achieving a, a a new level where everybody feels better about what we're doing where the the game is better the league is better the players feel better the fans feel more connected to it so you know my hope is that we can do that and it's it's weird i did not expect this conversation to necessarily go this way related to how bukayo saka rides challenges the funny thing is we could have a whole other conversation just about tactically what he does when he's challenged and how doing that creates advantages for arsenal there's a, there's a lot of interesting aspects to this um but as usual, you guys have, have brought it to an interesting place, and I appreciate you for doing that. So um, let's do this. I, I want to talk – look, I think one of the biggest sea changes in, in our season could be coming up because the reinforcements are coming. Because Smith rows back on the bench. Reese Nelson is back. Vieira has really become a part of the team. Gabriel Jesus is just about to come back. Here come the reinforcements, right? And that's, that's going to change – this season yet again and and be another step in the direction, hopefully towards the title for Arsenal. And so I want to touch on that. Maybe we'll even have time to touch on how we'll balance that against a Europa League campaign. But one of the things that we should also uh, balance against is our body chemistry. Yeah. As segues go, I think it's, it's okay. Uh, and we're talking about athletic greens, AG1. AG1 is 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It's everything you need for um, vitality, anti-aging, sleep, uh, gut health, energy. I think I said that already. Look, I take it and I like it. And I took it before I ever knew about it through this podcast because I have a friend who's a doctor who's like, oh, I take that, you should try it because I was having gut health issues. Um what I would say to you is that if you take your health seriously, you're probably taking some kind of supplement or a combination of supplements. And if you're taking a bunch of gummy vitamins and stuff, that's where I was at, was doing nothing for me. You could give this a try. I would suggest it. Look, it's keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, friendly for all of those lifestyles, low in sugar, costs about the same as a, a, a fancy cup of coffee a day. You just put a scoop in water and you drink it down. And, and you get all the health benefits. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Okay, do that for your body. Do this for your mind. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't just online therapy. It's therapy. And I, I think therapy is something that we have totally messed up in society in terms of the way we think about it. Because we think about going to the gym as just natural, normal part of being healthy and going to the doctor, natural, normal part of being healthy and eating right, natural, normal part of being healthy. But taking care of our, our mind, our entire being psychologically, nah, that's, you only do that when you're in crisis. Nonsense. You do it all the time to be a more productive, healthy person. If you have a partner, if you have a, a husband, a wife, a friend, a, a brother, a sister, a cousin, someone who you can talk to, that's great. You should have those people in your life. But those people aren't professionals and they're not there to work you through your problems and so, um, and your challenges and, and just finding a way to be more effective in life through emphasizing your strengths and working on the challenges that you have as an individual. I've done it. It works. It makes a huge difference. Uh, BetterHelp can connect you with a specialist that may not be available in your local area. You don't have to worry about finding the time to get out to an office and come back. It's online. It can be anonymous if you want to go camera off. It's flexible. It's affordable. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. We're almost there, everybody. Just one more thing, and that's if you want to watch Match of the Day and you're not in England, there's one way you can do it with a VPN. If you're in England and you want to watch maybe some of the football coverage that's available in other places, not available in yours, again, a VPN can help. There's lots of times you want to use a VPN to browse in other locations when you're traveling, but you also want to do it to be safe, to be private. And NordVPN is absolutely the best way to do that. It is the VPN of choice. You can use it on your phones, on your tablets, on your computers. One click of an app button on your phone and boom, you're browsing in another location. You're browsing completely privately. They have threat detection. So if there's malware trying to be installed on your device, threat protection kicks in, deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Okay? So 
I better get the creator code right here. Is it Arsenal Vision or is it just Vision? Should have checked that ahead of time, but let's just see. What do you guys think it is? Do you think it's Vision or Arsenal Vision? Um, it's not Vision. It's Arsenal Vision. Good. There, we figured it out. So You made, the mistake. All, uh, you made the mistake that you actually think me and Tim listen to you. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. Don't worry. No one else is either. It's all good. Uh, just don't tell the sponsors. Uh, NordVPN is world-class protection, privacy, and allows you to browse globally. Um, look, here's what you're going to get. A risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can try it. If you don't like it, great. You can pretend it never happened. You're going to go to nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision to get your subscription today. Okay? You're going to get a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. That's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. Please, whatever you do, do that. Now, Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Net it. Okay, that was a little rocky, but we got through it. Thanks, everybody, for bearing with me. Let's talk about the reinforcements. Clive did type in the chat, I need that NordVPN. I'm going to add him on that, so he's definitely listening, and he's definitely a customer. One satisfied customer on the podcast. There you have it. Um, Clive, speaking of satisfied, I will be satisfied when we are back to full strength. Gabriel Jesus on the horizon, but already Emil Smith-Rowe, Reese Nelson back on the bench. I want to talk Smith-Rowe for a minute. I think people have given up on him. And like, wasn't he our leading scorer last season or something like it's just crazy, you know, how quickly we move on from players. A, a few good games from Enkedia had people saying, does Jesus walk back in this team? People are ready to move on quickly. We are forgotten quickly. I think Emil Smith-Rowe could still have a huge part to play. So I'm curious, when you think Mikel will find an opportunity to trust Smith-Rowe? Because he's going to have to play a little bit, right? He can't just sit on the bench and then come in and be his best. How do you think he'll be integrated? Could it be Europa League? Where's the opportunity for Smith-Rowe to come in and start to make an impact because he's a player that I think has the chance to really influence our running. Yeah, I've long had the thought process that the, the players that are not playing right now are the players we need to be looking at and focusing on. So we can all name mm. that first eleven that we'd all like to see. The balance is perfect, etc. But it's the ones below, like Eddie, for example, Vieira and Smith Rowe, that are the crucial ones. They're the ones that get us around things over the humps we've added two new players in in, in Jorginho and and Trossard and Kivior we haven't seen yet so you know my instant reaction headline last week was it was a good day for the the squad right so the squad is growing one thing to bring it back to your original point was around Smith Rowe we haven't seen him for a while our memories are very very short generally that's the way we operate as fans but I'm looking at his physical development because basically that's the only thing that matters for him. We all know he can play football. So physical development versus where he settles in the pitch and positioning is the only questions for that kid. Simple as that because talent's not an issue. But I don't know if you've noticed when you see him on the bench how much taller he is. <laughs> you know, so mm -hmm. uh, And sometimes when you rest, when you don't play, and because these guys are training and playing every single day, it gives you a chance for your body to settle. And I just wonder if some of these issues are based on growing, you know, growing pain type issues for anybody that's had a, a, a young player or academy player as a son or something like that. You know, I'm talking about here, a young athlete, mm -hmm. uh, things that happen around shins and knees and things like that. And there are th quick growth spurts and how you manage those growth spurts and how you have to rest people. It wouldn't surprise me a lot of his issues are based on extreme growth spurts quite quickly. He looks really quite tall now, quite much bigger, you know, and it makes you wonder about his potential position. He looks bigger than Eddie, you know, and Eddie's playing centre forward for us. You know, so I, you know, the players that I'm not sure about positioning, the ones that excite me the most, Vieira, again, is another one. What could they end up being for us? You know, because they, they have to... They have the one brain intelligence that, we, that we're used to. They're system-wise, they're versatile, they're two-footed, they're intelligent, they can play off one touch, they can carry, they can create, they can cross, they can create their own shot. I mean, these are, these are exciting players, right? So if you look at the Man City squad right now, it's complete. They have one player to come back in, John Stones. Look at our squad. We've got Jesus, we've got Smith-Rowe, we've got Trossard, we've only seen him for a short period. Georgina's had his, had his opening statement game. And we've, we've got this to add to the group. So our true form, our true self, is not there yet. And I think this is our big advantage, 
how we bring these people in and hopefully the value they add between now and the end of the season. And this is the bit that none of us, no, not, not even one of Scott's models can, can incorporate because it is down to the human side of things and how the manager incorporates his players into the squad, right? So this could be our biggest trick, Elliot, if it all goes well. Yeah, well said, Clive. Tim, it's got to hurt Smith Rowe. He, he's, he's an academy kid, like Nketiah, like Saka, right? These are guys that came from the same place with the same feeling about the club and feeling about the group, and he's seeing them do this special thing, you know, and Kedia getting to have his chance to be a part of it, Saka breaking out as the star of the league, potentially doing it, and he hasn't had the chance to participate at all. That could swallow you up in depression. You could feel lost. You know, your, your career slipping away, or it could motivate you. You know, I, I, I am chomping at the bit because when I get my chance, I'm never giving it back. I want to be a part of this. That hunger could drive you. I feel for him. I want him to have his part in this. Do you think there's still time for him to play a big role this season? I mean, there's clearly still time. Do you mm-hmm. think that Mikel will find the trust in him and find the ways in him to to, to get him involved? I, I do think Europa League could be an absolute blessing for him because if he starts those games and plays and stays fit and does well, he will make himself a factor in the league, you know, in the league group. So is that how you see his path to to getting involved here? Definitely. I think this is a very, very big couple of months for Smithrow um, on an existential basis, shall we say. <clears throat> I I think I've ticked over into one of those people who's just like, when this guy's fit, it's a bonus. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I'm trying to moderate my level of like emotion around that because I'm irritated by it because he's such a good player and I think he's got yeah. so much to add and I think we've clearly just been short in that position for so long and I'm watching guys like Martinelli like catch you know catch a bit of flack when Jesus is out and he's playing every minute of every game and now like Trossard saving him a bit but you know, there there is a point where you kind of start to cross over into being a little bit unsympathetic, more unsympathetic than you should be about injuries. Where, and I think I've detected that a little bit in Arteta, where it's a bit like, come on, man, you've got to get on the pitch at some point because, yeah. like, yeah. we need you and you're you're no good to us in a tracksuit. The other thing about Smith Rowe, if I were him, that I'd be looking at, and I'm sure he is, is that Arsenal spent on Trossard and they spent big money on Fabio Vieira. And if I'm Smith Rowe, I'm looking at that and I'm like, those are both that yeah, exactly, exactly. I would I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be looking at that going, oh well it's over for me. But, you know, like I'd be looking at that and thinking, Arsenal could forget about me quite quickly. Like they could like the 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 apparatus are there for them to move on. And there is a big part of me that is wondering what his role is now because he was like, he was the Trossard, right? But we bought Trossard. <laughs> what did we buy Trossard to do? So what's Smith Rowe going to do now? Is he like, is he going to be like the backup in that left eight position? Um, we haven't really seen that. Is he going to be back up on the right? Well, Saka plays every game when he's fit anyway, and, and we haven't really seen that either. So, like, basically all of the roles left are kind of unevidenced for Smithrow. And if I were him, I, yeah, I'd be chomping at the bit because I'd, I'd, I'd be on the very much on the don't forget about me because I think you can be forgotten about as a player. And I, I think he's sailing close to that, I have to say. Yeah, uh, well said. I think the reality, though, is that he he can still be very important for us. Like I, yep. I, I don't think we're so awash in attacking talent and, you know, creative talent that he has no role to play. And you're right. I mean, his path to a long-term future at Arsenal looks a lot more blocked at the moment than it did at the start of the season. We've had a look at Vieira. We know left aid is a position. Mikel sees him as playing. We've had a look at Trissard. He looks pretty handy and he's, you know, he's not young in the way Smith Rowe is young, but he's not old. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, on the right-hand side, you know, it's it's a little more barren, I would say. Um, and maybe there's a case of he adapts his game to be more right, right-sided as a player. We haven't seen that. I, you know, I don't know if that's something that's in his locker or not. But I, I, think, I think he's a player who can still have an impact. And... I, I hope that he gets his chance. Well, let me just ask you this, Clive. Do you think um, 
do you think this puts us in more of a position to potentially challenge the Europa League as a serious competition that we could win? Because if Gabriel Jesus is around the corner from returning, you could start in Kedia, Trissard, Smith Rowe, Vieira. Um, if parties fit, you could start Jorginho. It's, you know, it starts to look like a pretty strong team. Um, so h- how do you think about that competition? And as a way to keep some of the, the players who aren't playing a ton, like a Vieira, like a Smith Rowe now, um, maybe an Enquedio when Jesus is back, a, jo- a Jorginho to some extent, keep them really sharp and, you know, maybe go assault that competition as, as one that we could win instead of one we're just chucking away because we're in a title race. Yeah, I wouldn't chuck away his competition. Uh, you know, my views on it, I think Arsenal's record in Europe is is very, very poor for a club of our size and stature, right? So yeah. if there's opportunity there, we should go for it. Obviously, there's opportunity in the league which supersedes that opportunity, but we have the squad depth to do something, and it's not about just picking a new complete team. It's like maybe allowing Gabriel Magalhaes to come off the pitch at halftime, do you know what I mean? Um, or maybe not travel one Thursday if it's far away. So we 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 mitigate risk in the squad, right? We we allow ourselves to make choices if someone's having a rough time. You know, um, Saliba had a rough first game back from the World Cup and he was allowed to sit. And Rob Holding came in for one game. I think it might be an FA Cup game. When Saliba came back, he's, he's improved thereafter. We can We can manage flat spots in form. Martinelli's had to play for a flat spot in form and he's finding a new role off the bench. But really, what well, he's just tired. <laughs> That's all he is. <laughs> and he's just not quite as sparky. Normally, we rest those players, but, but we can't because we lack a bit of depth because of what we spoke about earlier, Smith-Rowe and Gabriel Jesus. So we have got ourselves into a better position. Still work to do. Still balance to rediscover, which I'm sure you may come on to on your next topics uh, defensively. Uh, balance to rediscover and still players to learn about uh, where they are positioning, what's their best position, etc. So this for me is the is the fun, mate. The fun is working your way through this. The bad stuff is when we have no options and we're watching players get injured before critical games in Newcastle and Spurs, and we know people are wearing big load of strapping on their legs when we're trying to get into a top four. That's not a fun conversation to have on the podcast, Elliot. Do you know what I mean? And so far, yeah. so good. We're in a much better place than we were last season. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Quickly, quickly, just on the Europa League, Tim, is that? do you see that now as, <clears throat> as something we can go after? Just to think about this for a second, you could start Turner, Tomiyasu, mm-hmm. Holding, Kivior, Tierney, Jorginho, Smith-Rowe, Vieira, Enkedia, Trossard. I'm missing one, so I need I need Reese Nelson. Reese Nelson. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, he pro- we know he won't do that. We know he won't yeah, go yeah, full. Yeah, yeah. T- but like, yeah. that's an eleven that might be better than some of the some of the last couple of seasons starting <laughs> first choice eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's not a competition we have to throw away. But would you throw it away anyway? Yeah, I mean, throw it away obviously in quotes because you're never going to just play you know the the kid the academy but like how yeah. do you, how would you approach it yeah no i i wouldn't um for for those reasons and i think some of those games would be useful i i also think it is not just a case of like it being a fitness exercise it's a trophy worth going for um as well and i, th- I think it's a trophy we could win um obviously i want to win the league much much more but that doesn't necessarily mean we have to absolutely throw away everything else but pre-january transfer window i probably would have been in that let's just try and get out of this as skillful as possible but no i don't feel like that anymore i think at the very least you take it one round at a time like there's there's no need to throw away the round of 16 i don't think um for example and and yeah like and and ultimately if we go where we want to go and we're in the champions league next season we're gonna have to get used to playing um every three games with a bit of light rotation i think that'd be good for arteta as well actually to i guess to learn um or be comfortable with that i'm making two changes to the team every game kind of thing yeah yeah well tim i'll stay with you just for a second then the other big big thing that's coming is the return of gabriel jesus Mm. it's kind of flipped i think at one point we were saying do we even need him back 
Now I think we've turned him into, you know, Messi riding on Holland's shoulders. You know, like um, you look at some of the videos making their way around Twitter, and the comps are uh, getting increasingly dramatic in tone and and, and music choices. <laughs> um, I yeah, may have shared I mean, a few of those myself. I will say, <laughs> I have as well. Um, I'm excited for him to come back, Tim. I, I think we have to be somewhat realistic. Obviously, the worry with things like this is you come back. And you do your hamstring, you know, you come back mm-hmm. and you do your calf. So like, we got to be careful and not rush him back. But when do you think we see him? And how do you think Mikel tries to integrate him responsibly and, and you know, what that's going to wind up looking like for us? Yeah, it's interesting because I saw some suggestion that um, the Bournemouth game might be earmarked, but I'm not really sure where that came from. Um, uh, my to... wish casting, since I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that, that's what I was thinking. Like where, where, where exactly? I was, you know, I was looking at like Ornstein's Twitter feed and all of that. I was like, I, I can't really see this anywhere. Um, so I mean, I, I don't really, I, I don't imagine it's too far. I've always kind of thought March. Um, that that always seemed to be in line as as much as Arsenal have been a bit circumspect about it in in line with what people have said and also I I think I read someone tweeted Jacker got this injury <clears throat> last season and he was out for like seventy eight days or something and yeah. Jesus has been out for seventy or something you know so yeah. it, like it it must be coming um, type thing I I think we desperately need it I really really yeah. do I I think we we miss him so much for so many obvious reasons i, I also think like inketia has played every minute of every game in that time which he's not used to doing anyway and he must be one of the only players that's done that anyway um i can't think of many other players like maybe gabriel um saka must be close but like he he's played a lot of minutes and I just kind of think this happens as well. Like ideally, like I think Inketi is a good backup. I think he's played well. I think we have started to miss some of the things that he can't do that Jesus does. Um, not least because Inketi has had a bit of a rough patch in terms of finishing. Um, I think I saw something like he's created about three point four xG or something since his last goal without scoring. Um, and, and, you know, some of that I think will be down to fatigue as well. So th- this will have been a really useful period for Inketia to learn, like, you're playing every, like, twice a week and we need seven, eight out of ten from you every time. We've never had to ask him to do that before. But I think even just from the point of him catching a bit of a break, because the way it will be handled clearly, and I think we can see that we can trust Inketia to do this, that we can make it a bit of a gradual handover, maybe a 70-20, 60-30 in either direction for a few games. And, and that's what Inketi has done in this period. It's not like, oh my God, we must, have, like even 50% Gabriel Jesus must go straight back in immediately. But mm. I, I think we've just hit that wall, I think, where you get to a stage where you're back up. You probably don't want, them in much more than like five or six games and and it's beginning to stretch and it's beginning to fray at the edges a bit and 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 I think Jesus not least because of the type of player he is I mean if you don't feel rejuvenated by it the thought of it the sight of it will rejuvenate you pretty bloody quickly because he'll be everywhere and it will be really noticeable when you haven't seen it for a few months well said Tim uh Clive your thoughts on bringing him back in and and the impact we're going to get from that without, you know, maybe going to complete hyperbole, <laughs> hyperbole like, like I probably have on social media. Yeah, the tears rolling down my cheeks at the thought of it. I think, um, joking aside though, you want him for this moment, don't you? You want him for these games. We've never really had this for a while. The guy who's the business, our top paid player, the leader of the front line to be available for the running. That's just what you want. At all costs, we must we must have that. Then you start. Mm. I start to look back at his touch maps and stuff like that. Think, oh gosh, sixty odd touches. Oh my god, I'm looking at <laughs> twenty one touches, and I'm thinking, uh, imagine what you can do with that. You know, imagine what you can do with all of that yeah. extra involved. An image of Clive like just like holding a picture of the touch map with <laughs> exactly. take, with "Take My Breath Away" by Berlin playing in the background. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine the collaboration, the movement, the spinning of shoulders? I mean, oh my god, I can't wait. 
wait. Can't wait. Get your tickets here. It's going to be great. And we've just forgotten a little, a little bit what, what what happens there. But I will say this, you know, I've critiqued Eddie a lot, but I will never... He gave me Spurs away. He gave me Manchester United at home. He didn't quite get us over line for Newcastle at home, a good save. And he just dropped the ball against City a little bit, but he wasn't the only one. Mate, I take that. I take that. We got fortunate with the World Cup injury happening in the World Cup. So we saved about four or five weeks there. This we were unlucky but got lucky, if that makes sense. And yeah. so Eddie's given he's kept our dreams alive and we have our game in hand, we are still five points up, which is where we were pre after the break. And so yeah, a bit lumpy, a bit scary. Manchester night are too close to my comfort, but he's he's done his job and I did we were we rewatched West Ham sorry, we rewatched Villa, didn't we, earlier this week? And the second half and I think that was heroic performance from Eddie because he was absolutely done in. And he kept pushing and working and really pushing himself to the absolute maximum. Didn't score, but I've given Jesus some big, big claps when he didn't score. And I could see that Eddie was absolutely carrying cement on his boots, but he kept going. He pressed them for the goal that should have happened from Odegaard. I, I was really impressed with him. I always judge people in adversity, and I thought he was really, really give everything for that Villa second half in particular. Yeah, I, ju- I think there's a lot of players on the pitch who will be very excited to welcome Jesus back in terms of what he does for their for their game. I think for Saka, it takes some of the, the pressure off because he's another guy who can carry the ball past midfielder, you know, drop in deep, beat a man, carry it into the final third, which means Saka can make a forward run. He doesn't have to get the ball at the halfway line and be the, the way we get the ball into the final third. He doesn't have to take as much of a kick. And we already know what he's going to do for a Martinelli and Trossard in terms of finding that left half space. The, you can't overstate his importance, and you're not doing a disservice to Eddie and Kedia by praising Jesus and saying how good he is. I, I think, you know, he just is a special player who had transformed us earlier in the season. I'm very excited to see him come back. The challenge for Mikel is he's going to want to have him back in there too, responsibly returning him to action so that you have him for the duration, you know, for the long run. Um, and and I'm sure we'll be very careful and cautious about that. I doubt we'll see him. We won't see him against Leicester away. I do think Bournemouth, there's a chance he's on the bench for that. I think that's, that's a possibility. And I, I imagine just what that would do for the Emirates crowd, just in terms of even seeing him, in the lineup at all, um, you know, even even make, making the squad at all. So we'll see what happens. Let's leave it there. Pretty quiet week. Leicester away at the weekend, a game I'm very excited for. Um, their defense is absolute trash. And so, you know, it could be a high-scoring game. It could be a game of back and forth. But I, I think there will be goals scored. Um, they're not quite as trash defensively as Liverpool, but that's a podcast of another color. So let's leave it there. Covered a lot of ground. Um you know, maybe we'll get a uh, maybe we'll get a Lester preview in for patrons tomorrow if you want to join us over there. So keep an eye open for that. Tim's on Twitter at Stillmanator. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. And Gunner, we love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Lester, no. Do-